This is the Development Locker Podcast, and this is your weekly investment in your development as you continue your transition through life and academy football. In Season 3, we bring you even more episodes, more guests who you can connect with, and even more insight into individuals like you who have a similar experiences in pursuing a career in the professional game. Over the next 11 months and 48 episodes, we aim to cover the key topics you will face along your journey. From the challenges you will have to overcome, the ups, the downs, and many experiences along the way. We will be here every week to discuss the current issues in your lives, support you in your journey, and continue your development to being the best version of you in your interviews from the locker. didn't know already this podcast trends worldwide i jest granted we have a good percentage of listeners overseas and this week's guest does too mike and i connected through linkedin from a common bond and passion that focuses around athlete well-being from his background of performing in rugby to coaching in the same sport to now being the founder of his own well-being consultancy it was a no-brainer to invite him onto the podcast. Over the next 50 minutes or so, we talk around many different topics and subtopics of well-being, not just empowerment. We also touch upon identity, high performance, Mike's three core pillars, connection, relationships, and much, much more besides. In doing so, Mike certainly gets across his passion, dedication, and experience in all of these areas but you be the judge case for the defense is that mike is all of these things and more so be prepared to be armed with the tools to maintain your own well-being accept what you can't control and create the best version of yourself as we bring you your latest interview from the locker Good morning, uh, or it should be good afternoon. We'll come on to that in a minute. But yeah, this week's guest is a well-being coach. And as always, we get straight into the questions, Mike. In terms of well-being, I think the first question I want to ask you, it's probably going to be the most difficult one. Why is well-being important in terms of athletic performance? We all know about strength and conditioning, the, the nutrition, why is well-being such a critical part of an of an athlete's performance? Yeah, well, it's a it's a very important question, isn't it? Because ultimately, that's what we're aiming for. Um, and it's essentially, in a nutshell, it's kind of if we get the best version of the person, uh, we get the best performer in the profession. I guess is a nice way of saying it. And from a well-being perspective, that link to performance comes from three main pillars of well-being, I guess, which we call the biopsychosocial perspective. Um, bio meaning physical well-being. So this is things like you just mentioned, diet, sleep, movement. We all know how important they are to, you know, physical performance in, in our sport. Um, psycho, which is psychological well-being, which is the development of skills like self-awareness, 
emotional competence, resilience, mindset, and these things affect performance because how we think affects how we feel and how we respond to how we feel affects how we perform. And then we've got social, which is the social well-being side of things. This is all about developing healthy relationships and connection uh, with the people that we're performing with, essentially. And if we can develop a sense of safety and trust with the people around us, this is essential for performance. Um, and the example I always use, I guess we can all relate to this, is we think about the difference between walking into a room with your best friends as opposed to walking into a room with a bunch of people you've never met before. With your friends, you're not really thinking, you're just being, you're just your best self, you're not worried about being judged and you're just enjoying your time there. If you walk into a group of people you never met before, uh, you're probably doing a little bit more thinking, you're wearing the right thing, what you have in common with these people, what these people are like. And so from a performance point of view, that connection you have with your teammates um, is super, super important once you actually take the field. So that's, I guess, the holistic approach to well-being and how it links to performance. And these three pillars, they can help us or they can hurt us. So they kind of, they're very interconnected. And so I think it's a really useful way to explain well-being because it is quite holistic and sometimes the word well-being can be hijacked a bit as to, a, you know, I guess a bit of fluff and people roll their eyes, but it's very, it's very, very practical when you look at it from those three pillars. So the way you've explained it there is, is beautiful, by the way. If that's the case, and I'm talking from a UK perspective here, not from an Australian yep. perspective, but it might be similar. Why isn't it at a core of most, if not all, athletic programmes, whether it be football, cricket, rugby, whatever sport it may be, why are we still, it's certainly in this country, playing catch-up, not giving it, it's like you said, a bit of fluff, not giving it the respect it deserves if it is just so integral in achieving that athletic performance? Yeah, well, I think um, it's a great, great follow-up question. I think we've we've attempted to attack all these things individually, I guess. So if you if you went into a club and you said, you know, let's educate our athletes about sleep, they go, yeah, sleep's important. And then if you say, oh, let's educate our athletes about emotional competence, yeah, that's important. Let's educate our athletes about, uh, you know, developing healthy relationships. And they'd go, oh, yeah, of course, that's that's very important. But I'm not sure there's an understanding that well-being is basically all those three things combined. Okay. And so I think there is a real move towards the holistic approach, but we're very much still focused on mental health as a reactionary thing and so focused on problems and then cures as opposed to empowering athletes with these preventative skills uh, that will help them cope holistically with all sorts of problems that come up as a young athlete when you're trying to make it in your sport and also develop as a person. Okay. Well, again, a beautiful answer. In terms of then, I know we spoke previously and I know you you spoke about individually from yourself about a proactive approach. Now, yeah, I'm all for that. Um, it's hard to strike that balance, isn't it, between being proactive and reactive. We mm. might come on to that in a little bit. But from your perspective, in your experience, what can athletes do to proactively enhance their well-being? Yeah, so I think the number one thing they can do is, I, I like to call it creating a best version profile of yourself. And what that means is just essentially looking at yourself and going, what matters to me? What are my strengths? What's my purpose and values and vulnerabilities? 
and then create space to reflect on those things and bring those things into all the domains that I have in my life. Um, in terms of practical things, once you've done that piece of work and that kind of identity piece of work, it's, it's huge. I think reading up on or even as a club providing education around the brain-body connection, like we just spoke of, there's those three elements of well-being, physical, psychological and social, and how they're interconnected and understanding that is super important to then valuing all three of those things equally. Um, sleep, educating about sleep is huge. Uh, Matthew Walker is an expert on sleep and he explains sleep is the greatest performance-enhancing drug athletes aren't using enough. Um, and I and I could argue that's people in general. We're all we're all on our phone just before we go into bed, and we're, you know, yeah. it's not great for our sleep. And then the other two main things, or I guess there's segments to these things, is that developing emotional competence and our ability to manage our emotions. You know, as an athlete, you're going to have to deal with so many situations, so many things that you can't control, um, which are going to elicit certain emotions. So our ability to regulate those is super important. Um, and then that helps us in with healthy relationships and developing relationships with our teammates, our coach, our support staff. And then there's other little proactive things you can do, like practicing gratitude, writing goals, thinking about your goals as a whole person and not just your athletic goals. Um, so they're kind of the main things to develop the whole person as you as you as you as you develop the athlete as well, I guess. Yeah, sleep's a, a very kind of yeah, not. Uh not tapped into as much as it should be. You mentioned no. there about the management of emotions as well. Is there, I'm assuming here, is, is that just a, a fluid thing? Is that a never-ending kind of process rather than just a, oh, here you go, I'm the, 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 you know, I'm the managing of emotions expert and this is my plan, this is my process. Because like you mm. said, athletes across any sport there's it's so dynamic it's so different it's so varied surely you can't really have a program to manage every single emotion in every single situation mm. so do you just evolve with that and that's where the one-to-one -one work comes in quite key yeah 100 percent. i mean you hit the nail on the head like this a huge range of emotions is the human experience right so it's like it's just like the weather; they just come and go. You know, it's you don't have all of like heaps of control over them. Um, it's based on the environment we're in. So I think it's just giving yourself time to just think about how you regulate your emotions, um, learning to accept them, and then perform in their presence, as as opposed to be getting into a fight with them when they do arise. Things like nerves, stress, and anxiety. Every athlete will be able to relate to pre-performance. Um, and sometimes the attempt is to get into a fight with those emotions and reduce them before we perform, whereas it's really helpful to just accept those emotions and then learn to build our capacity to cope with them and perform in their presence. So acceptance of emotions is a huge part of it, and there's a, huge, there's a massive amount of power in being able to accept uh, whatever your emotional experience is and then commit to positive action from there. And I mentioned different sports before, and you've got uh, a background in in rugby, rugby union in, in Australia. If anybody's not wondering where they've uh, clocked the uh, accent from, just to yeah get rid of that <laughs> bombshell. But in terms of, and apologies in advance if you, you've not got a lot of knowledge or expertise in working with football players over in Australia, mm -hmm. but in your opinion, 
how do football players and rugby players are they similar, different in their attitude and approach towards well-being in football in this country, especially in a in youth football, maybe even I'd say similar in professional football. There's probably not that respect or that you know due pay to towards well-being and that link between the body and the mind. Is it the same over there in in football? Is it the same in rugby? Yeah, it, it is. It is pretty similar. It is pretty similar here um, in terms of the attitude towards it. I think it's it's definitely it's definitely improving, um, and there's definitely more value being placed on it. Uh, I guess, but yeah, which is probably similar to football in England. I would say, based on again, I don't have much knowledge in it, but based on what I've read, um, from an individual standpoint, I've worked with a few football players here. There's not a huge amount of difference. I mean, I guess they're all people at the end of the day. The sport they play doesn't change that. Um, and they face the same problems and have the same questions about all very normal stuff around uh, what the whole wellbeing space is about. So I guess the approach is pretty similar on an individual level. Um, and when it comes to the sport, you what you said about English football there sounds pretty similar to what's what's happening here. You have some people, some teams that are all over it and other teams and other people that are that are still kind of getting their head around it. Is that is that a massive challenge for you in the in the the realms that you work within, or do you do you relish that challenge because you're like, yeah, I'm going to be the person who kind of breaks that ground, who changes or creates that shift of people actually now recognizing and being more empathetic towards how the brain and the body are connected and give well-being that chance to be that one percent that marginal gain towards their performance yeah i mean i love i love the challenge of, and i really enjoy talking to people about it and I, and I do find that if you are talking to somebody who initially does say roll their eyes at the whole well-being word <laughs> um when you actually get, explain what it is and most people realize that it's very practical and it's very realistic to implement without a huge amount of resources and effort like 90 percent of the of the i guess issue is just breaking down some of those myths and some of those attitudes and one, and once you get into a room with people and have conversations about what well-being actually is it very quickly breaks down a lot of those things and, and you can see people seeing the value in it straight away so scenario quick one if Yep. You mentioned the rolling of the eyes. I've seen that one as well. <laughs> the, the, the last time, or probably the most standout time you've seen that, how do you deal with that? Do you just literally fully step back? Do you remain consistent and keep chipping away at it? Or is it a case of whereby you see that almost like a red rag to a bull go, right, bring it on. My, my, my kind of role now is to change that person's opinion and attitude around well-being the understanding of it and how it can impact that performance what approach do you take in in that when you get that kind of i suppose block clash of of mm. understanding that lack of you know when they roll their eyes and like well-being i don't need that how, how do you approach that yeah well i mean you know, i like to approach it head on um i don't know whether that's just my personality i can be a little bit combative i guess <laughs> but um no I, I i like to approach it head on i like to I guess, hit them back with a comparison quickly. I have actually have a funny example about this. I was talking to a rugby coach about well-being, uh, pretty similar to the chat we're having now. And um, 
he said to me, well, how does this help me today? And I basically said straight back, I said, well, how does squats in the gym help you today? Like the, the only difference is your attitude towards it. Like, you know, that squats in the gym help you because you know that if you do that every day, your legs get stronger and you become a better player. We also know that if you practice well-being and mental skills and, and uh, mindset every day, you become a better player in the long run too. There's just not that same attitude towards it. And um, I'm not sure if he completely came around, but he definitely found it interesting that it was that very quick kind of comparing the physical to the mental example. He kind of saw straight away what the, what the attitude was or what my, at least what my attitude was towards it. Yeah, I mean, it's a great, great example, that one, isn't it? And I think sometimes you've got to just try something and then discount it rather than just discount it before you've even tried it, I suppose. Yeah, that's mm. a, a sound like my nan there when she was trying to get me to eat vegetables as a kid. But yeah, well, that's a different podcast. <laughs> um, in terms of then, so mo moving on to your consultancy work, that's where you, you, you mainly base yourself um, you know, in Australia, and I said before, you know, the majority of people you, you work with is is within rugby. Um, what what process and strategies do you do then, without giving too much away, and you know, kind of, uh, yeah, revealing all your secrets? But what yep. sort of process and strategy? I know you mentioned quite a lot around, you know, the bio psych and social bit. Is it yep. mainly based upon that, or is it something unique to you that sets you apart from others? Um, yeah, I mean, it's it's broadly based on that because that's the, I guess, the evidence base behind all this stuff. Um, but I like to, yeah, I do kind of put my own spin on it. And, and the first stage I go through, I guess, is working with athletes to develop that strong sense of identity or who they are because that's kind of their their purpose and values and what matters to them is kind of at the centre of all this. Like if if we feel like we're working towards something that matters to us, we're going to be way more motivated to try all these things that help that happen. Um, and, I mean, the, the most common thing I see in young athletes is this need for approval from others to get our self-worth or to get their self-worth. So I find that that identity piece is, is super important. So we work, we work on, you know, getting our self-worth internally. You know, we don't need to win the grand final or be the MVP of the team to feel valued. We're we're good enough as we are, and that is good enough. So that's a huge part of what I do to start with. Um, and then that kind of unlocks this movement towards what you want. And it's kind of once you know who you are, you can clearly identify what you want. And that's when we get into writing goals and um, what we spoke about before, managing our emotions and moving towards connecting with people that help us get the best out of us. Um, so, yeah, that's the general gist of it. It's this huge piece of finding out who you are and what matters to you. And then we start to get into skills like emotional competence, like self-awareness, growth mindset, resilience, those sorts of things. And I find it's a lot easier to build on those things once there's this central, strong sense of identity and self-worth that comes from within. Yeah, it's interesting, that one, because when you speak to it, we've had a few people on the podcast previously in terms of mental health and well-being the interchange between those two and it's interesting even though you're all different individuals you all have different backgrounds different levels of education experience knowledge the some of the processes are very 
not similar to the point of where they're exactly the same, but there's, there's key and there's core bits in between mm. each of yours. I find that fascinating. Like, you know, you're based in Australia. We have people who are based in Ireland, England, different sports. But it comes to, across that. Is that because you fully respect those core elements? Or is it because, as you said before, really, it doesn't, it doesn't differ too much that those core elements are probably very stable regardless of what sport, what athlete you're you're working with. Because from somebody who doesn't know well-being, doesn't know that side of things, you would expect things, oh, no, I take this approach and I go down this pathway and then person mm. X goes, oh, no, 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 I, I focus on this bit because I believe this will be the deciding factor between them being the best version of themselves. Mm. Do you find with your peers that there's a lot of crossover and commonality or do you see people who totally go off on their own road and they're kind of a bit rogue and they because of that they achieve really good results with their with their athletes or their clients yeah no it's it's a good question i mean i guess there are some really core themes and i mean we could go into a psychological deep dive for for a few episodes and and like that know yourself theme is a really deep one that most people go through because yeah. you know if you, if you don't know yourself you don't know what you want essentially in a, in a nutshell so that that is something that people um i say most people in the industry would give time to um how, how they go about that and how they get that out of somebody like the way i do it is i talk about their life story their strengths their values and their vulnerabilities is kind of my four things i do around that knowing yourself um piece and and there's i guess the detail and how you cover these core elements changes but the core elements themselves pretty similar because it's based on in the well-being field anyway it's based on research from the positive psychological space um which is all evidence-based and come from studies and things like that. So I guess that's probably why the core uh, elements stay stay pretty similar. Yeah. And speaking of those core elements, I mean, you you've you threw an empowerment before. I know we spoke about that before. Mm. I suppose the question I want to ask on that one really is for any athletes li- listening to this, uh, why is it important then that they take empowerment over their own well-being? Because from somebody who works within academy football, it's lazy, but also too easy to go, I oh, will get an expert in for that. I oh, will get a guest speaker mm. to come and do that. Oh, we'll share this resource with them. Why is it yep. important they take ownership and they reclaim the power of their own kind of well-being? What, what, why do you feel that's important? Yeah, well, it's, yeah, it is hugely important because if we feel like we've made the choice ourselves, we're going to be more motivated to stick to it. Um, I mean, we've all experienced that, you know, going back to our, days at school and the teacher's just telling us what to do we're not really that motivated to do it are we so it's kind of when we feel like we have a choice and we feel like it's our choice uh we're more inclined to stick to that um but again you do have to make that choice and you do have to value well-being as an important part of 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 your journey as a person or as an athlete i think something that i personally feel is super important is uh, especially with our young athletes, is our academies and our organisations provide athletes with the education and skills and tools to make an informed choice on wellbeing. Um, and for me, that's 
that is really, really important because, again, just like a coach might, an athlete might have assumptions on what well-being is and might think it's fluffy and might roll their eyes. But if we can, as academies and as organisations, can provide a little bit of education about what it actually is, they can make an informed choice and see it as something that um, is going to be valuable to them as much as their physical skills. So it's really important that we give people the opportunity to make that choice, but then we allow them to be the ones that make that choice, if you know what I mean. Yeah, yeah, perfect. And yeah, you seem to have the same hymn sheet of, from my perspective, not just in well-being, in a lot of things. And I think it is important that they they take ownership and they they're probably mm. accountable for those things. I think you, you you'll have far yeah. more experience than, than I will in terms of the the, the well-being realm of you probably come in more as the reactionary kind of plaster, mm. as it were, because an athlete's not really taken the 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 care and attention to look after their own well-being and then you have to come yeah. in where I suppose that's a frustration for you you think well yeah not if you'd have listened to you in the first place type of scenario but yeah if there had been a more proactive measure and more empowerment for that athlete then yeah you could come in to add to it and not to try and correct it so I suppose that yeah. would be a frustration from yeah from your side of things and speaking and, about the, the sorry go on so I'll just jump in like the, the accountability thing is really interesting because that, that, that is super important as well. And I think you're never going to get every athlete buying into this stuff. It's just not going to happen. It's the same with any topic. Um, yeah. But I think as long as we're providing them the education around what it is for them to make that choice, then it is ultimately up to them to, to work on their own well-being if the environment's working on it too. Yeah, and I've got a question about environment coming later on. But before I ask that one, sticking to the athlete as an individual – we, you and I, kind of know, I say kind of, that's the wrong statement. We definitely know that, you know, the the, the marginal gains we talk about uh, in regards to the, the competition, the performance. In a world of marginal gains, can well-being really be the difference? Can it really be that competitive, uh, competitive advantage from one individual to another, from one team to another, from one organisation to another? Can you really pinpoint that down to, to, to well-being? Yeah, well, I mean, obviously there's lots of ways to get um, competitive advantages. My opinion, as you probably assume, is that well-being is one of the biggest ways we can get a competitive advantage because it is still quite new when there are still lots of takes and approaches on it as it comes into the space. Um, I think if we understand our athletes and treat them as people first and not just athletes, I would argue that is a massive competitive advantage and that is a central part of, of what wellbeing is. And I think how, the, how, the, how empowering an athlete as a person impacts the team is it allows this kind of group mindset to shift from me to we. Did I talk about um, when I was playing rugby in New Zealand, there's this like really cool ethos of the individual expresses themselves and the group connects themselves. And I, and I, and I loved it because it was all about expressing your authenticity in this environment. And then we will all connect that together as a group. And it's, it's, it sounds very spiritual, but it's, it's, it's really cool when you're a part of a team and there's 15 people who buy into that ethos of we're just expressing who we are. And then we're connecting as a group to that ethos. 
and it has this huge effect because when you feel valued as a person um, and the organization values you as a person and as a human being, you kind of play with this safety and carefree attitude that kind of connects you to the people you're playing with and you can all move towards your goals as individuals and as a team without having to worry about all this other noise, I guess. So I would argue it's a huge competitive advantage because it's a way you can really unite a team together. Yeah, and I suppose the key word there for me would be that marginal gains because it it doesn't have to say this will be, you know, the 50% contributor to your performance or to the no, you know, yeah. your, your advantage or whatever, but it could just be that, it could be that tipping point, could be that bit where, like you said, you know, I'd never even thought about it really like that, about, you know, individuals expressing themselves and the connection, the relationships, because let's be honest, that's what sport is about, isn't it? It's about those mm. relationships, person to person, not athlete to athlete all the time. It just seems, it's just by default, the sport connects us as a, an athlete to an athlete or a practitioner like yourself to an athlete. And you mentioned there about the environment and and culture. And I think this is probably one of the biggest ones for UK sport in in general. I might be doing a lot of sports down in that statement there, but um, yeah, challenge me on that one, people. Um, but in terms of the culture and the environment, how does an athlete re- really kind of still take ownership and be accountable for their well-being when they find themselves in a culture and an environment that doesn't match theirs or doesn't really do the same and, and recognise the, the importance of, of well-being? Because you must have come across that in your time as well. Yeah, no, definitely, definitely. And I've, I was been in a few environments like that myself when I played. Um, and it's, I mean, to be completely honest, it's really, really hard if you are, if there is that kind of disconnect between what you value as a person, whether it's well-being and the environment's not kind of matching that. There's this, uh, Owen Eastwood is kind of a culture coach. He actually works in England. Um, and he shared this insight from the English um, Institute of Sport that 70% of our behaviour is determined by the environment we're in at any point. Wow. And I guess you could go back to that example of walking into a room with your best friends versus people you've never met before. You can kind of see how that could play out because your behavior is going to be very different with your best friends as it will be with, with that group you've never met. So if you are a player that values your well-being, I guess the advice I would give is just to you're, you're doing the right thing essentially is what I would say first. Um, and you can still develop yourself from a psychological perspective, from a social perspective outside that environment. When you're in that environment, it's really hard because I always use the analogy of imagine you take a fish out of dirty water and put it in a mm. bag of clean clean water and then your owner forgets to clean the tank and the next day you're back in that dirty water again. It's really hard <laughs> when we are in one of those environments when our behaviour is so connected to an environment. But, um, yeah, I guess if, if you are an athlete that can – successfully work on your well-being and flourish in one of those environments you're doing a seriously good job and you're building up a lot of other mental skills on top of the basic ones yeah yeah that's a message i kind of try and convey to to some of the the lads that i work with in in terms of that when you're going through any difficult period in your in your career you know playing injury you know if it is a culture and environment you find yourself in if it's a lack of resources facilities 
it's that perspective that shifting perspective isn't it of like well yeah how can i use this to my advantage how can i use that to become better to become more resilient more stronger it's yeah there's always an opportunity isn't there there and i suppose i asked that question because i would i know there's quite a few athletes out there uh, not just in football who you know listen to the podcast and be like oh that's great but and that's some of the questions we get back that yeah, but the, the the team I play for, or the organisation with it, they, they don't see it like that way, and we we, we mm. don't have that, and that's just not possible. And it's it's almost like, well, yeah, everything is possible without sounding cliche. And I suppose it is finding those little opportunities to develop, to improve, to be positive in an environment or a culture where it might not always be that way. And sports not always that way, is it? Sports not always, oh, we're winning every week, we're performing excellent, we're all at our peak sport life isn't like that is it no I mean the thing is like life's life's very hard and I guess the best thing you can do as an athlete athlete if you are in one of those environments that doesn't value it is just to accept that that is the environment I guess you don't want to try and fight it because then you become frustrated and angry and that will affect your performance in other ways so I guess if you're in that situation the best thing you can do is you know try to try to get some small wins chat to your teammates um, chat to the people you're close with about how you can, I guess, change this mentality. That's fine, but don't get too caught up in controlling what you basically can't control, essentially, um, because that will lead to frustration and and uh, will only affect you, I guess. Now, my next question, I have to say, is probably the most controversial one uh, mm. because I could be ruining, ruining your career with this question, but... <laughs> yeah. <laughs> In your experience and in your honest opinion, mm. so we, we talked about the well-being, how it contributes to high performance, how, you know, take ownership, empowerment. Have you witnessed, have you seen, have you got examples of athletes who still achieve high performance without addressing their well-being, without doing that identity piece, and they still go on to, to, to bigger and better things? Because the biggest pushback I get is a bit like the analogy you use with the with the rugby coach of the the gym and the squats and and, and that it's like, why, why do i need this I'm, I'm i've just turned pro i'm playing really well i'm scoring i'm doing this i'm doing that and my argument always is be it's similar to what you said have you give it a try try it because it might yeah. only it can only add value and it can only add that if it only adds one percent hey you know one percent better it won't be taking anything away from you and if you try it and you really don't see the value in it then we don't repeat it but yeah yeah are the examples because a lot of athletes will be like oh what about it i bet it, you know this player that person they don't really you know look at that person the first team they they don't really you know engage in and i'm not just talking well-being here other facets and, and departments within performance but that's yep. what the pushback that we get so are they cases where an athlete is just a super athlete an elite athlete and has mm. never really addressed or even given thought to their well-being yeah, well, I mean, I'd be lying to you if I said there wasn't. Of course, you can achieve high performance without addressing your well-being. But my question is, but at what cost? So mm. that, that that example you've used, you know, I'm scoring goals, I'm playing well, everyone's telling me I'm amazing. And I guess the question back is, well, what if you aren't scoring goals? What if you aren't playing well? What if that recognition stops coming? What if you get injured? What if you're having to relocate? what are the skills you have for your personal development, not just your development as a footballer? So 
we've all seen examples and the effects of the costs of athletes that don't value them as themselves as a person or their well-being. And it just depends on how we view high performance. So for me, I mean, this, this is probably a controversial example as well, but Tiger Woods, for example, <laughs> incredible, yeah. incredibly high performer. No one would argue that. Yeah. But no. what, was the, what was the cost for him? You know, we, we all know what, what, what happened. We all know what unfolded. Um, so there are costs. We see athletes who suffer depression and addiction after they retire. Um, we see athletes who have no idea what they're going to do once they retire, uh, if they get put into a different environment. So, of course, you can play well without addressing your well-being, but I guess the next question is, but at what cost? You know, are you giving yourself the best chance to have a fulfilling career that lasts the longest possible time that you get the absolute most out of? Um, or are you just kind of chasing those external gratification, the games where you score three goals, and then when you're not scoring, you just go, I just need one more of those games. Whereas what if, what if that never comes? Do you know what I mean? There's... Yeah, you give yourself a a huge break, and you take so much pressure off yourself if you do have these preventative mental health skills or these well-being skills for times that are tough. It's interesting you bring up Tiger Woods as an example. There, I was listening to an interview the other day, and I don't know if this is a true story or not, but he was saying about Tiger Woods' dad. Um, you know, for those who don't know the story of Tiger Woods, you know, being drilled from a very young age to, to, to play golf and it was almost like a a passion and obsession, wasn't it, by dad to get, you know, Tiger to be, you know, the best golfer on the planet ever type of thing. Um, mm. Very driven, very, yeah, very single-minded, focused and all the rest of it. And there was a story this interview was telling about Tiger Woods and saying between him and his dad, they had the safe word. So any time that his dad would push him and push him and push him, you know, even at ages three, four, five, you know, his very infant years, pushed him to the point of where almost breaking down, almost pushing him too far over the edge. He had a safe word and he said, do you know what? He never, Tiger, even though he could say that safe word to go, look, no, you know, it's too far now. I need a break. Mm apparently tiger in the whole life of his dad being on this planet and being alive living and breathing never never uttered that that safe word ever now yeah, well. probably separate ones over that and then the 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 cuteness of it was do you know what that safe word was and it was like it was just the word enough but apparently tiger yeah. never uttered that word and it's interesting because there is a trade-off isn't there in sport there is a trade-off in any elite sport in any athlete and I suppose that's a really great point you've made there about the cost because yeah what is the cost you know, even just from well-being aside you know it's we talk about it within academy football you know the social aspects the education aspects you're, you're you're training a number of times a week you're playing games at a weekend parents having to drop you at training pick you up from training travel the length and breadth of the country you know granted our country isn't the size of yours so I'm sure it's even worse <laughs> over in, in Australia but yeah. it's what 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 is the cost? What is the cost? And then ultimately, that's somewhere got to be paid by the well-being bank. I, I would assume. Yeah, well, I guess it is. I mean, there's there's just so many examples, and um, there's there's a lot of awareness out there about the costs as well now, which is really good. Like athletes, are, lots of athletes are talking about the importance of planning for retirement or having skills and tools and strategies ready for that injury that you don't expect. Um, 
and all and all that what all those things are is essentially just building up that well-being bank um, that you can pull on when things aren't great. Um, but yeah, this performing well is great when it's happening, but there is a cost when it doesn't happen. And having skills and strategies in place to keep your, I guess, the human being even keeled as all the external stuff changes around you. Uh, is is just so so important, in my opinion. Retirement being part of or one part, a major part of transition, and we know from from an athlete perspective, there's many small and larger transitions in their career in life as well. How highly do you rate well-being as being a a component of that? So you've talked all around about the the high performance, the competitive advantage, but from a transitional piece for an athlete, how important would you rate well-being as being part of that process as well? Yeah, I mean, I guess it's a good segue from the last question because these, these are the moments that well-being is the most important. So these are the, I know we spoke about before with the process of developing that best version profile and the, yeah. of who you are um, because this is where the athlete's basically has to have that best version, best version profile ready. Um, and it's why it's so important to look at how we approach well-being similar to preventative mental health, because the earlier we get to all this stuff and the earlier we give people the opportunity to learn these holistic well-being skills around physical well-being, psychological well-being, social well-being, the more prepared they'll be for these inevitable transitions that anybody who's ever tried to um, tried for a successful career as an athlete would have experienced. Um, and, you know, we spoke about this a couple of days ago. A career in sport is not easy. It's very hard. And especially as a young athlete, there's a lot of sacrifice that rolls alongside a lot of uncertainty. And arming yourself with the mental skills to cope when this stuff happens and deal with that uncertainty while it's swirling around you is is super important because the brutal reality is, especially I'm guessing in the academy sense, is that most don't make it. So nope. we, we need to ensure that for the majority that don't, we've built them up as people too, because that's what most of them are going to end up being. They're not going to end up being athletes. So that's, for me, this is a huge part of, and why I love working with young athletes, because there is, and I was an aspiring athlete as well, and it is a dream, you know, and the closer you get, the more you want it. And, but there is this rea this reality that's kind of, you can easily sweep under the carpet, but you're probably not going to make it. And so that personal development while you're developing as an athlete is just so, so important. Yeah, I've never, it sounds quite bad of me now, but I've never really thought about it like that of arming people and, and building that. I mean, I'm all for building up the person before the, 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 the player or, you know, before the athlete. Mm. I suppose, yeah, if you think about it as a, as a, as a numbers game, which is awful to think about because they're human beings, but, you've just put it beautifully there the, the the amount of players from the academy system will make it is few and far between so does that transitional piece program series of sessions whatever it may be that should be building up the person shouldn't it because ultimately that's what they're going to be leaving us with it might not be that professional mm. contract it might not be those 100 games those 50 goals those trophies promotions achievements but they will leave us as people so yeah that's yeah. Uh, Oh, yeah. I've, so, yeah. Uh, one of the one of the things I always say to, especially young people who are managing young young teams, 
is you can never go well with arming young people with these preventative mental health skills because the ones that do make it are going to excel as people while they excel as athletes, which is great. And the ones that don't make it can still excel as people, even though they haven't made it as athletes. So you kind of, it's a win-win if uh, you put the energy and effort into it. And it just, it just feels really good as well as I'm sure you, you're a player care manager. It feels great when you, you know, can see the growth in, in a young athlete outside of just their sport. Oh, yeah. yeah. So it, it, you know, it, it helps everybody involved and it really changes the, the, um, I guess the purpose and, and the value behind what, what we're doing with our young athletes and people. It does. And we've got down to the last two questions now and the penultimate one, probably in hindsight, probably should have been one of the first ones, but we'll, we'll, we'll go backwards. You mentioned, excuse me, <laughs> identity piece in terms of, you know, it's, it's critical, it's key. So, you know, remiss of me to leave this towards the end, but yep. you, you say it all starts with identity, but I think the question I want to ask here, because we've talked about it previously on the podcast, is there a limit to how many different identities you have before it becomes a, a debilitative thing and a, a negative impact on on that athlete or is it just a case of no you can never have too many identities if i identify as a as a guitarist because i like to play guitar and i also like to play mm. chess in my spare time and oh i've got an interest in another sport and oh and i do this and i do that if we as a person-centered approach if i put myself in the middle and i identify as 10 different things but then another person identifies as 20 different things mm. am i better because i have fewer still varied or is he better because he's got more than me or does it not quite work like that yeah so it's it's a great question because this is something i talk about a lot so i i break the eye from who we are is the identity and what we do are the domains so the idea is that there's actually there's the goal is just actually this one whole person identity and that's who we are that's our purpose, that's our values, that's our strengths, that's our vulnerabilities. And we accept that person, we build that identity up, that whole person identity. And then that identity can filter into never-ending amount of domains to be that person in. And that's what we do. So it's it's this separation of who we are from what we do. And this is so important for athletes because athletes, especially young athletes more than any other group of young people, it's so consuming. It's, you know, you might be in an academy from the age of seven to the age of 18 and that's your life. And so it's really easy to build up this concept of yourself that you're just an athlete. Whereas being an athlete is what you do, but it is not who you are. Who you are is based on what matters to you, you know, your values, your purpose, who who you like hanging out with, what you like doing on the weekend. It's so many different things that it's, it's super important we don't neglect because then going back to that transition piece, if they only have an athletic identity, what happens if they don't make it? So for me, it's this idea that the way I approach it is that we're developing this whole person identity and then a never-ending amount of domains and that's what you do and that's where you bring that best version of yourself into. No, that's great. And it's very similar to a previous guest, um, Dr. Alan Tongu came on and he put it, it's not a competition, but really beautiful in terms of football. He's he, He's got a background in being um, a, a football player, 
and then um, had to kind of yeah retire early and is now going to the play care kind of realms and he's doing kind of some really great work and he put it beautifully like these are human beings who just happen to be footballers and when you think of it like yeah. that it, it yeah. links in perfectly with yours of you know just because you're an athlete it's not it's not who you are it's just just what you do now that yeah. sounds very simplistic and very easy to say and it's very hard to get a young person to deviate from that kind of mindset and that kind of thought process but I suppose that's all our jobs in football in sport when we're developing young people and yeah it that still stands out to me today your 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 phrase there you know it's it's very similar it's they're, they're just human beings who just happen to be football yeah now, that sounds very disrespectful like you know they just rocked up and discovered this skill that they've got I know there's a lot of dedication you know a lot of sacrifice that they've got to mm. to go through to, to get there but I think that's important when you say it as simplistic as that you know it's they're an athlete it's not who you are it, it is just what you do and unfortunately as we all know it, it, it doesn't last forever so no that's, that's really good in terms of final questions I'm not sure if you listened to the podcast before we start always start with a why and we always end with hopefully a lasting message that will resonate with our listeners our listeners being young academy players or young professional footballers in in the game in in this country but we do have listeners from from all over the world um any lasting piece of advice doesn't have to be football related sport related but your lasting message to our listeners to to take away you know whether it's to be more proactive you know to give them that impression or you know something that they can be doing within their well-being any lasting piece of advice yeah i guess the huge piece is just get to know yourself uh accept yourself accept what you can't control and commit to positive actions that are important to you and just like you developed all those physical skills as an athlete that makes you so good today this is the same approach just practice 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 and uh your mind will develop the same way you've very competently developed your body and that's what i would is yeah perfect end to the podcast oh yeah but i want to thank you because i know it's uh, relatively early in the morning over here but i know it's uh, uh, stupidly hot over there so <laughs> you've had to uh, brave the uh, air conditioning uh, in in your room in your house but no um all, all jokes aside mike it's been great to, to catch up with you it's been great to have you on the podcast and there's been many a great point that you've made over the last uh, you know 50 odd minutes i'm sure most if not all of our listeners will be taking something away from the words of wisdom that you've given so yeah on behalf of myself thank you on behalf of our listeners thank you very much it's been great ah thanks lee i really appreciate the opportunity it's been it's been great talking to you as with every great story let's start at the beginning and identity being an athlete is what you do it's not who you are remember that it should always be person first approach but sometimes it is difficult to stick to this when high performance is demanding of you and the competitive nature comes to the fore recall what mike said high performance comes at a cost don't let that be your own well-being and sticking with the financial element how is your well-being bank How's it looking right now? Mine's flirting into the overdraft, but it doesn't have to be this way, and certainly not for you. 
some of the tools Mike has given you are little deposits that you can withdraw when your performance isn't going well. You now have the power to stand for what matters to you, your beliefs, your values, as well as a period to reflect. And while we're on about reflection, I want to bring you back to the analogy Mike used to great effect. The often asked question is, how do I know these tools work? Well, how does an athlete or a coach know that repeated lifts in the gym works when you can't see an instant gain? Because we know from time, researching and evidence that it does. That's why we do it. And that's why you must take the same practice, practice, practice approach to your well-being too. Join us next week for more empowerment, more guests and more tools towards becoming the best version of you as we bring you another interview from The Locker. Thanks for listening to this week's episode and we hope you have taken many key messages away with you. But the next part is down to you now by putting these into action. If you'd like today's episode, feel free to tell us on our various social media platforms where you can find us at thelocker underscore UK. For guest recommendations, future topics to be discussed, or you simply want to reach out, you can do so by emailing us on thedevelopmentlocker at gmail.co.uk. Remember to share this episode and our platform with your teammates, friends in football, or anyone you feel would benefit from it. So, what are you waiting for? But you're not done yet, as we look forward to seeing you next week when we bring you another interview from the locker.